0: welcome to the chunk zone everybody welcome to the first episode of the chunk zone i'm kyle i'm your host for the podcast and in this show i'm going to be taking you to the chunk zone the titular chunk zone And the Chunk Zone is the mysterious rift, which is opened up in my closet. I do not know its origin. I do not know its purpose, or at least its original purpose, but it's here. And who am I to misuse a good rift? So I've used it to reach back through space and time and grab fun, obscure media, lost media, or just media that I remember from either my childhood or just something goofy from back in the day. Just pulling into the archives, grounging around in a bucket full of movies and TV shows. And by bucket, I mean you know interdimensional space rift in my closet but you know i just reach in there and i just grab whatever's interesting to me and i write a thingy about it i I don't want you to think this is going to be a nostalgia podcast remember this remember this wasn't this so cool remember being a kid i don't want it to become that and i don't think it's going to become that because honestly a lot of the stuff that i liked when i was younger that i'm going to be looking at in general is trash mostly because I was kind of a dumb kid and kind of a dumb teenager too. And I didn't like the best things. I didn't have great taste. I mean, for a long time as like an 11 or 12 year old, my favorite songs were by like LMFAO and like Toby Keith and like maybe Rascal Flats. So that's just giving you a bit of a baseline of how um, rad of a kid I was and how much amazing taste I had. So let's just get into a good example here. First off, let's set the scene, where are we? Well, I've reached into the rift and we've landed on something from 2008. And 2008 was a solid year for me. You know, not everybody you know but recession Schma recession i was eight years old and money meant nothing to me so i was focused on the big stuff the big picture the movies the tv shows i mean my favorite movie the dark knight came out in 2008 i wasn't old enough to see it and when we went to the imax i had to see journey to the center of the earth instead but but still a pretty solid year and still some great releases that year also, my DS got stolen and the security cameras didn't reach the trash can that I left it on top of to go to the bathroom, and I told my whole family to watch it and nobody listened. But anyway, yeah, the movies. Back to the movies, right? The Dark Knight, like I said, Kung Fu Panda, Iron Man, Wally, Hellboy 2, I mean all real good stuff, and the TV. The TV, let me tell you, it was okay. One of those okay shows was Spike TV's 1,000 Ways to Die. And for you who are unfamiliar, it was a comedy show focusing on recreations of deaths based on real stories. I don't know how real, don't ask me. But the deaths come with narration, and it was originally just some dude for a few episodes, but then it was Hollywood actor Ron Perlman. So, you know, how about that? hellboy himself how about how how about that this show also sprinkles in not just hollywood talent but also medical experts they explain the deaths accompanied by you know like an animated skeleton who's just experiencing the same thing as the person it's just they just get the skeleton of every person who died and put it on display behind the medical experts i I tried to boil it down so i boiled it down in my notes to seven steps these these are the seven steps these are seven sections that you need to put together if you're going to make your own 1000 ways to die episode which we've all dreamed of doing so number one is an intro with some snarky remarks and puns and a preview with all the deaths those go hand in hand they can't be separated they're one step and then two is title sequence three is the setup you know they put the date and the time and everything like that the place then four an often karmic death but a death nonetheless number five a goofy name, a goofy ha name. And number six, rinse, repeat, and add snarky transitions. And then seven, credits, because you always need credits. Now, these seven steps aren't set in stone. I mean, they will be for the most part, because the show is very simple i don't know like i can't stress how simple this show is this show is the tv equivalent of a 2011 epic fails compilation i mean it's like a grimdark story with planet sheen characters this isn't high art and it knows it isn't and this being a show that's you know already a comedy and already fully aware of what it is everything that it is and you know what standing it has it just makes it really hard to make this episode about that show because i I started writing this and i just immediately hit a wall where i was like what am i gonna talk about with this show is there any substance to it is there anything to it but i got into a groove and i ended up talking about it and i ended up you know having a good time writing about it and getting ready to make this episode so i'm excited whatever reason there is i landed on a thousand ways to die as the topic we're doing it it's happening this was originally supposed to be a youtube video actually it was supposed to be a whole series on a YouTube channel but I just realized that the video editing and the filming parts were the parts causing me the most stress, and it was causing me so much stress that I was just second-guessing myself at every point, and I just was not getting anything done. Even more so than the recording session for this, which, I mean, you don't want to know how many times and how long it took me to just get the intro in here, because I'm just very self-critical. But anyway, I don't want to bring the mood down too much. I just wanted, to tell you that i don't know why i just wanted to tell you about the format change even though you didn't know about it before and it didn't matter to you before and it still probably doesn't but anyway just wanted you to know this was once a YouTube video. It started its life cycle as a YouTube video but it is now a podcast episode um, especially just because I didn't want to have to try to edit like three hour long videos because I was going to be adding a lot but you know I'm fine with editing a long podcast because it's a podcast and you know it's not easy per se you know, you gotta figure out the audio levels and cut out stuff and everything it's not a cakewalk but it's better than a four-hour video and it's better for me i am just going to do the best that i can with this format and with this medium And making most of the medium kind of means that i'm going to be doing the same thing that i was going to be doing for youtube without the threat of a copyright claim because you know, I was thinking when I was making the video and I had 40 minutes of footage, I was like, oh, I should probably check who, who owns Spike TV. Somebody probably has bought Spike TV. It seems like a thing from a bygone era. And it turns out it's owned by Paramount. And I was like, Paramount, you know, the little mountain symbol, that's fine. But then I find out that Paramount is the new name. I know it was the name already of something, but now it's the blanket name of Viacom. You know, Viacom, Viacom CBS the famously litigious company. And so when I saw that, I figured this medium is better than dealing with a Viacom copy strike or probably several Viacom copy strikes because they like to do that kind of stuff. But here we're protected. This is a safe zone, the chunk zone. It is a safe place here by the rift. It's nice. A little breeze comes through, but not too much. It's not cold. I don't got any goosies on my arms anyway. We're going to keep the original video alive, just going through a first season episode, a third season episode, the finale episode, and just talking about all that, but also zooming out because the video didn't really zoom out, and this one can. And, you know, I don't see the point of just watching a bunch of episodes in a show that's an anthology, really, and is kind of samey throughout. So I decided to just take one from the beginning, one from the middle, and the ending one, and just see... kind of progression or if it progressed at all and i'm hoping looking through that progress is a good experience that it's fun for you you know i just hope this whole thing is fun for you because a thousand ways to die in the end is a very visual experience and i'm going to try my absolute darndest to make this fun with zero visuals anyway here we go so a thousand ways to die it's not a totally disappointing series but every episode of a thousand ways to die starts off by disappointing me. You know, it's a show which relies on shock value. Like it's its whole brand and the folly of stupid people. It's like the whole thing, but every episode begins by spoiling all of that. And I said it before and I'll say it again, you know, showing all the gory details in the first minute isn't that smart. You know, the title sequence isn't bad. It radiates some late 2000s, early 2010s on the nose sarcasm, but still it's just an opening and it's a pretty solid opening you know it's nice it sets the scene it's cool it's got good visuals i like it but it doesn't save the pointless previews at the intro they just didn't have to do that they could just flip the parts that they're recapping and just show the setups and the situations from the beginning instead and not the payoff because we're getting our payoff in the first minute where are we supposed to go from there you know that's like starting at the finish line I just don't understand. But with a recap, but with a format where they can recap the setups, they could still make jokes about the death. Like they could still make like a funny pun about the death without showing the actual thing that happens to like give it away. You know, maybe that could even be a hint. It could even be little hints you're sprinkling in. But I could complain about the intro forever, but I feel like I'm repeating myself. So I'll just move on. So as I mentioned in the intro, the show is kind of tied down by the time in history that it was made like the show began at the tail end of the big you know 2007-2008 writer strike and you know i'm now extra glad that i'm not releasing my original video version because i distinctly remember saying in the script for that during the part of the series finale i said that the show ended because of low ratings And then it wasn't a big deal but boy was i wrong the end of this goofy lowbrow guilty pleasure of a show should have rightfully come in like the unreleased final four episodes with a final episode that's fun and huge and made to feel like an event but instead the final episode of the show is the same as literally any other episode because it wasn't supposed to be the end the official reason for the show ending is its low ratings but it's easy to see through that bullshit just by glancing at news stories from 2012 when the show ended, that come up when you Google something like, oh, I, you know, I don't know, a thousand ways to die writer strike, or a thousand ways to die unionize. I mean, it didn't end because of low ratings. It ended because, well, the basic summary of events is that the workers said, hey, production company, Original Productions, can we have some basic health benefits? And the production company, again, Original Productions, responded with, haha, yeah, we'll think about it, while publicly searching for a replacement staff who would be willing to work under their conditions. Like they were telling them that they were negotiating it and it was cool. And behind their back, they were just openly calling for new writers. But nobody wanted to work for that specific company, I guess because nobody showed up, and so they canceled it for quote-unquote low ratings, all because corporations are gonna be corporations, and you hate to see it. But overall, you know, it's hard to look at the production and the -the behind-the-scenes aspects of this show without coming out kind of negative. I mean, I can't help that. But I can try to cram my main complaints in this beginning section, So, like, we can have some fun time for some goofy deaths later on. To be clear, though, I'm not like dismissing a major labor strike and predatory employment practices as, you know, not big deals, but I'm not qualified to speak on the politics of entertainment employees unionizing. Like, I can watch things and talk about how they made me feel or what I think about them or when they made me laugh, things like that, but I am not qualified to give anyone any insight on like workers rights and like union politics. It's just not my thing, especially because there's so little info about this particular thing anyway. I mean, the whole internet seems to agree that when it comes to how shallow the pool is for interesting information about the show or its production yeah i mean you could jump in there and break her ankles like every website that i found just had like a basic rundown of the idea that the show is about deaths and is about funny recreations and everything have some death descriptions have some crew and cast names and then the ending will just be like oh yeah and it ended with a writer strike and low ratings or just the low ratings it was never i don't think it was ever just the writer's strike it was always either there was a writer's strike and low ratings or because of low ratings which i mean look you got to give me a little bit of credit at least i didn't cop out like like all those websites i found where it's just falling to that old explanation instead of looking into it but you know the people in general the people in general ratings wise are pretty mixed The reviews online are pretty mixed. And I mean, I say that, but there aren't like a lot of them, at least not with like strong opinions in either direction. I mean, for example, there are only two reviews that I found on Rotten Tomatoes. One is from a critic and one is from a fan. And okay, so the critic one, here's the critic one. Although the names of the deceased are changed to protect their privacy, the choices to make their final moments a source of entertainment reflects a disturbing lack of sensitivity. Two out of five. Or we could go with the the more sophisticated audience review, four out of five stars, such an awesome show It is basically a compilation of people dying in the most unusual ways. And believe it or not, they're all based on true stories, which I just love because this guy gave it a four out of five, first of all, but never mentioned why the point got taken off. But second of all, I just love how this guy talks about it like it's a new show But then if you look in the corner of his review, he just reviewed it last month in March of 22. So, you know, I'm just glad that it's new to somebody. Somebody just discovered A Thousand Ways to Die. That puts some warmth in my heart. That puts a little flame in there. That's nice. But besides the scattered reviews, the only other pieces of criticism I could really find were like small, insignificant things like stuff on the IMDb goofs page, like the 1993 recreation. One of them was set in one thousand, nine hundred and ninety-three, and a kid was using a camera phone. What oh, goofy anachronism because they weren't invented yet. But basically, the only criticism is is like that. But I mean, it's a comedy show, and it's not supposed to be a hundred percent accurate. So I think a more effective angle to come at this show for is criticizing its ideology. You know, I want to I want to stress one more time before I get into the part of the review that I'm not smart. I wasn't smart as a child. I'm not smart now. I don't have any qualifications. I just thought this would be fun. I have an associate's general studies degree from Ivy Tech Community College. You know, I thought you could get pregnant from doing it in the butt until I was like 18. You know, I'm not that smart, but I think these concepts are interesting and I just want to dig into them. So let's get digging. Let's get into the ideology of this show. Don't worry, we will get into the deaths and all of that fun stuff after this. I just want to talk about, like I said, some of the more general things about just how this show seems to think and uh, what what I was getting from the writer's room. So A Thousand Ways to Die's like main guiding principle is social Darwinism. The writers of this show love to talk about the people and their recreations as people who are like doomed to die, too dumb to live. The narration for nearly every death makes sure to throw in at least a little bit of name-calling and often slut-shaming. But the tone of the narrator fits the show and it makes sense in the context. It's a show made for laughing at dumb people's misfortune. It's the whole hook. So with that being the hook of the show, you know it's easy to gloss over the mean-spirited feel of the narration and just kind of let it wash over you. But it's easier to see that that mean-spiritedness when you just realize that social darwinism is kind of bs i mean just listen to this i found this on the imdb factual errors page and i know i'm leaning a bit on imdb i'm telling you there's not a lot of online information about a thousand ways to die i was pulling from a small basket let me tell you so in the factual errors section they put down that the narration in one of the promotional ads for the show starts with darwin's theory of evolution says that the fittest thrive but darwin never said that it says that it doesn't appear in his writings to darwin fit meant best adapted the phrase survival of the fittest often associated with darwin was actually coined by herbert spencer a contemporary of Darwin who was a popular political writer. And six out of eight found that interesting. I think it's eight out of eight interesting. Sorry, IMDB. I'm sorry you got bullied by those two people. I think it's very interesting. But that difference between fit and best adapted is like super crucial. It's what makes the difference between, you know, the actual theory and the philosophy of some guy who lived around the same time. I just think that a society which throws away its members who it sees as stupid and dismisses their tragedy in a hostile way, you know, puts the fault of all failures on them. It's just uncomfortable. I mean, many of the deaths stick to this mentality, even in cases of deaths where like not even the smartest person would have avoided that. For example, the last episode features an alcoholic woman who drinks a bunch of alcohol, of course, and then eats a piece of pizza at the party. And the pizza had a kind of mushroom that doesn't react well with, with alcohol. And then she just died from that chemical reaction. But despite the fact that that's a completely like out of left field thing, and I don't think anybody would pick up a piece of pizza look at it and be like wait 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 especially drunk would they look at it and be like wait 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 this has ink cap mushrooms and ink cap mushrooms respond incorrectly with alcohol actually like i don't i don't flicker through my little my little biology notebook my little whatever the biology thing that's flowers and things like that i'm blanking on the name but you know botany or what oh i think that's Anyway, that woman was not stupid. She was addicted. She was just being obnoxious. You don't deserve to die from being obnoxious. I mean, still, the show treats her the same as everyone else. On the same level as the guy who blew his brains out by looking down the fireworks tube. Even the final death of the show is caused by something unrelated and something not from the silliness of our main character i'll save that for later since it's our big final death but you know don't get your don't get your hopes too high this causes more than just like a moral and philosophical problem too all the deaths are presented like cautionary tales even though they sometimes don't have any lesson it's either that or the death that comes at the end is just totally disconnected from the setup like this results in a lot of deaths with jarring endings where the show seems to be building up to a thematically relevant death only for the character to just get pushed out a window or stabbed at the last moment and this makes a whole lot of unsatisfying deaths come through which just seem like they had their endings tacked on for the shock and this theory that a lot of the deaths were punctuated with you know more easily explained endings or like something more recognizable i guess that don't even line up with the stories it would help the show's structure make a lot more sense because otherwise, it's just strange. (laughs) It's just strange why they would ruin all those payoffs like that. It's like the writers looked at a lot of the deaths and thought they weren't fun enough. So they just add like, eh, then he's set on fire, I guess. I mean, for example, that's a good setup for this. But for example, I found an excerpt in the Wikipedia, the best source, that some of the stories included elements of truth for example number 396 onesie and dunsey where an accident-prone tv shopping network host is injured by a collapsing ladder stabbed by the tip of a broken katana and then fatally burned to death when a onesie he is wearing catches fire the ladder collapses that happened that happened to a guy at a network in 1988 and he was unhurt though So that's good for that guy. Shout out to 1988 man. The Katana incident that happened on a knife collector's show in 2001. Um, But the third part is just made up. And this is a perfect example. Because it just shows how the writer's room would Frankenstein together these little stories into something which is entertaining. But not purposeful. And not the same as what was intended with the original story i guess nobody intended anything necessarily but i mean the death description sounds less like a recreation description and more like just a list of loosely connected ouchies they even made they just made the third part up i mean i'm not saying it doesn't sound like fun but i am saying that this show missed an insane amount of opportunities to have more creative and well-written segments with some purpose I mean, just because it's a comedy show, that doesn't mean that it was meeting its full potential by just pasting together different causes of death and throwing in characters to make fun of. Plus, and this is the last major complaint, I promise, Um, plus this complaint comes with a free compliment, so that's nice. The first season's episodes included an ending segment that none of the later seasons kept none of them bothered to put this in here but the first season episodes ended with a story of near death and it included like interviews with the actual survivor if they could get them and i only saw a few of them but like honestly it was a huge breath of fresh air like it really broke up that monotony it broke up that routine And I was pleasantly surprised because I was proved wrong after thinking at the beginning of the first one of the near-death recreations that this would just be another basic death. But this time, you know, we have some interviewing and it seems more interesting. And for some reason, I just didn't think about the fact that that guy isn't being presented as an actor. That guy just has his name under him and he's talking like one of the experts. He's probably not dead kyle but i don't know i didn't think of that so i was like oh he doesn't die when the credits started rolling and you know i smiled and that was nice it was nice to to have a big genuine smile after a little while of just just chuckling at at people dying it was nice to just be like hey good for that guy my hypochondriac side really appreciated that happy ending for that man That, hey, you know what? Not everything is is a case of life and death. Not everything's going to be that bad. You can survive stuff like skydiving, no parachute, no problem, you know? And it doesn't even have to be serious either. Nothing about the hopefulness of the recreation took away from the show. I mean, everybody still seemed to be having fun, and they were still making jokes, and the survivors seemed to be willing to laugh about their trauma. And that's awesome. What's not awesome is that, again, this only happens in the first season. And there are five seasons, sorry, six seasons of this show. And there's just no format breaks other than their failed special A Thousand Ways to Lie and their awards show, The Deathies. Um, A Thousand Ways to Lie is currently lost media, by the way. So that's not even part of the conversation right now. But if you can get past, you know, how repetitive the show is outside of the recreations, it's still not offensively bad. It's still turn your brain off fun. It's still a good show. And, you know, the IMDb trivia told me that there's actually only about 500 deaths, not a thousand in the show. But the like website for the show lists about 960 i don't know if some of those are like theoretical or like just ideas that they put on the site it was very confusing but i like to think that they really only got to about 500 but they got there like they made it to that halfway point but they never got to make it the other i guess they i guess they would have taken 12 seasons if it took them six for 500 and You know, I don't see any reality where this was a 12-season runner. It's fun, but it's not a 12-season show, you know. Anyway, I'm going to go, like I said, in chronological order. The first season episode that I chose, um, I chose it based on name quality. I chose all of these episodes purely based on the quality of the name of the episode, if I thought it was fun. This episode is called Cure for the Common Death. And we'll start out on a positive note, because I know I've been kind of a meanie so far. So we're going to talk about my highest rated death of the episode, probably my favorite that I watched all day, and that's Hold. This death shows off how much better the show is when it leans into the comedy and the characters rather than the shock value or the karmic justice gotcha stuff. The duo they made up for this death is like legitimately laugh out loud funny to me at least. The writers did a great show making these two just f- did a great job. Not They did a great show. They did an okay show. But they did a great job here making the two guys in this one feel like real teenage burnouts even though they were played by probably like 20 somethings. But they really just felt like. Real-life dumb dummies just being filmed from like a hidden camera in the park. And their dialogue is priceless. I love their dialogue so much. This segment uh, starts off with the line, This one's a warning to those who worship fake gods. Which, Jesus Christ, what a hard line for this show. I I love it. Especially because you're told immediately after that line, that the god they're talking about is Ozzy Osbourne. And I love that. That's amazing. That's very good. And I'm going to include a section for my notes below, which is mostly my favorite dialogue. So I'm going to spit that out a bit, and I just want you to get a feel for these ridiculous boys. So to show how big of Ozzy fans they are, the one guy just goes, Ozzy, man. The other guy says, Ozzy, man. He just kind of says it with a dash before the Z because only real Ozzy fans know his name. I like to think that's the only requirement, too, like the world's lowest bar. It's like they're cavemen who learn to read, but only this script. It's fantastic content. Another one is, yeah, burgers. They're baked like Oz yeah dude and then the other guy says oh man Oz is baked all the time yeah (laughs) and the guy responding said it like he had just heard a very interesting point so it wasn't the way I said it It was more like oh man Oz is baked all the time (laughs) yeah (laughs) like he never realized how baked Ozzy was until this moment (laughs) you know what that's a great point Ozzy really did do drugs um maybe my favorite piece of dialogue though is when the one guy says (laughs) I love Oz but not like in a gay way and the other man with no hesitation but kind of with his head down because I guess it's 2008 I don't know he puts his head down and he says I would do him in a gay way (laughs) and you know we we stay in a gay king in 2008 you know and this one is the first one where they aren't going through like narrative hoops to land on a normal death. Like I said before, you know, they're not doing that payoff thing. This is ants up the nose. We're talking ants up the nose, baby. Ants up the nose, let's go. If, <laughs> if only the narration in the show hadn't spoiled this about three times by this point in the show. This was like one of one of the middle deaths so with the commercial transitions I mean yeah you kind of knew what was coming up and then <laughs> just some out of context Australian guy comes over after they die because basically yeah the idea is they're big Aussie fans and they decide to try to snort some fire ants because that's a thing that Ozzy did or is supposed to have done with Nikki Six from uh motley crew at like some point <laughs> it was just it was just a story and they had heard it and they just decided to do it but at the end after they've died just some out of context australian guy shows up i don't know if he's the guy from the australian version of this show if there is one or what but just this australian guy who's not in the rest of the show like not in any of the other episodes I saw, just shows up and is just like (laughs) a couple of big (laughs) jicks, And then he just calls them Ozholes, laughs and leaves. I don't know who that guy was. (laughs) He was just some man sitting in the park watching these men die, I guess. Um, Also part of the scoring is how good of a pun their pun name for the death is. In this one, Ozhold... I mean, it's only kind of a pun, but this one gets a pass because it was fun, so I give it a 9 out of 10. it has the same energy as the only other death from the episode that I rated higher than a 6, which is Guitar Zeros. And Guitar Zeros is saved from being a simple falling story by having another classic pair of goofs. These two guys... They, they never even speak, I, I guess, because it's set in Beijing and they didn't want to do subtitles. I don't know, but they never speak. Still, the actors, they go all out. They had they had commitment and I respect their grind. I respect their commitment. Uh, they were doing great. They were just flailing around with the camera and the camera was loving it. The actors, though, they're not the only upside. I mean, the set was, like, weirdly super well-dressed. Like, it looked really lived in and, like, really real. And just, I loved it. I I looked around. I was like, this looks like a real room. And a lot of the sets in this show are just kind of the general idea of whatever the thing they're at is. And it's usually something outside. Also, and this isn't a total complaint because I did think it was pretty funny. It did get a good laugh out of me. But they instead of getting a medical expert on for this one they get a heavy metal expert and this heavy metal expert is talking about like how much energy and passion and stuff and all this all this wonderful stuff that's in the metal in the metal community and like what motivates them and what motivates them to love that music but he's just got zero energy like he looks like he just woke up but he's like yeah man metal rockers they um they really love uh, music. <laughs> it's just like, okay, that's great, man. That's really cool. I can feel your passion for this. I can feel that you really care. Also, it's kind of cringe that even though they, you know, they're going insaneo style, and they say that it's because, you know, they're listening to intense metal. And the narrator's examples for intense metal are Axl Rose and the who you know that hard hitting super rough metal that death i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure the who are technically technically a viking metal band i mean don't check my notes on that but like pretty sure (laughs) anyway this show was almost definitely written by boomers with no metal metal knowledge anyway the pro- the other problem with this death is something that I mentioned before, which, yeah, it's our old friend capping off a ridiculous setup with a totally normal way to die, um, because this whole death, it's just them jumping around on beds, they're jumping back and forth, and they're moshing, they're, they're having a great time, and then one of them bounces off the wrong way he like kind of turns his ankle and he just falls out the window he just falls out the window um and the one thing i do want to say though is one of the most genuine laughs in this whole episode for me was that the guy falls out the window and the other guy is so into it, and the narration kind of mentions this too. But the other guy is so into it that he's standing on the other bed, and he's just nodding along, like still headbanging after <laughs> after his friend just jumped, and he's so he's just standing there like hell yeah, brother. Like I love that commitment. I just love it. These men have never not been committed to something. I would marry both of these men because of how good they are at commitment but you know maybe i've cracked the code and it's actually about making scenarios it's not about deaths it's just about character studies and they just put the deaths at the end to keep the show on the air but the rest of it the meat of it is everything but the deaths the setup is the show the narration is the rest of the show and the deaths come third Also, side note, um, I didn't remember the narrator calling the scream the second guy does at the end his Chinese warlord scream. And I don't know, that kind of seems that kind of seems a little kind of seems a little bit dated. Um, But despite even that, I think this is a six out of ten. Because it's guys, it's mid i'm so sorry i'm so sorry but it's mid i liked the actors and they were having a great time but it was kind of a wasted set and nothing really happened and like i said they didn't get any dialogue so i'm gonna give it a six out of ten like i said and yeah um i already actually forgot But this one is guitar zeros is a lazy pun. Okay, yeah. So I I don't feel bad about that score still. I forgot to factor in the title thing, but it's fine because it doesn't affect the score. (laughs) So now that we've talked about a couple that I enjoy, um, that was my computer battery saver mode. I don't know if you could hear that. But now that we've talked about a couple that I enjoy, I'm going to have to break the news to you. Um, This episode contains a 1 out of 10. The segment that's a 1 out of 10 is called Tanked Girl, and it's the pinnacle of my complaint about pointless, spoiled deaths. A lot of the deaths in these are saved by them being short and sweet, but sometimes they're just like too simple, too short, too sweet. The whole death here, the whole death in Tanked Girl, horrible name by the way, is... A woman, she, she's she, a diver and she falls asleep in this decompression chamber that she has to be in because she just made it back from this deep sea dive. And somebody comes by and turns off the pressure control. Then she gets up, she screams, and she pops like a blood balloon. But it's not fun because we saw the blood balloon effect in the first 10 seconds of the episode. And that's literally the only interesting thing we get. Otherwise, it's just a girl in a room by herself on a submarine. Nothing to see here. Like, honestly, I almost bumped it up to a 3 out of 10 because it surprised me by being one of the only deaths from this show where somebody is, like, murdered. Murdered. I mean, they gloss over it as, as someone on the sub crew making a mistake, but that doesn't make any sense. I mean, they say it's a maintenance guy, so I would have, I would assume that he would see the active pressure gauge on the chamber, which he services, and come to the conclusion that someone must be in there. I mean, that worker knew what he was doing. Also, they wrote Ron way too horny for this one. He won't stop calling this woman sexy every time he refers to her in this short segment. And he even calls her a sexy scuba goddess at one point. And it's just a little too, it's just a little, little bit too much. You know, I'm sure that Ron Perlman probably had a great time on this show, but just hearing those narration lines out of an actor that I like know and enjoy. It's, it, you know, it's rough. It's a bad time. But moving past Ron's horn dog energy, I said in my notes that this was not only the most spoiled death, but it's also the most rushed, or at least one of the more rushed. I mean, the girl in the chamber, like I said, doesn't get a single line of dialogue. She only exists as a sexy lady who explodes. I mean, once she dies, the medical expert comes on and says, literally just comes on, says... The pressure change she went through <laughs> it's pretty much a done deal it's over and then the episode ended like the credits came on usually there's a little bit more to the explanation or maybe the medical examiner says something kind of cheeky but instead this guy just he just says it's its a done deal it's over like he just told me how much it's going to cost to fix my car Uh, I I hope you can see why this is a one, but you know, like I said, the episode ends with a near death skydiving story. It was nice and I liked it, but that's about all I have to say. So don't get attached because it's time for season three. Oh, also the uh, sketchy site that I used to watch these episodes only had the first three seasons. And I was going to watch a season two episode, but I thought, first of all, this would get way too long. And the season episode, the season two episode that I watched was absolute peak horny. And as I've established, I don't like that side of the show at all. And it was like real on that side of the show. And I was just, I was just thinking that that wasn't going to add much to it. So instead I skipped a season three And the season three episode that caught my eye was called Hurry Up and Die. So while watching this intro, and this is from my notes, I saw a man who was pulling a gun on a cop get hit by a random loose tire. And it it really shows how this show complains to be a cautionary tale or says it's a cautionary tale and then has disconnected setups and payoffs. Like, Like what's the lesson? Don't threaten cops because they're protected by the National League of tires like i don't i don't know what they're trying to tell me with something like that i mean speaking of the tire death let's talk about the tire death basically our main character jed is an ultra libertarian sovereign citizen type of guy and he just loves drunk driving it's his favorite pastime but he's been pulled over by a cop oh no and a little while away from this guy is a guy named Ted, eh, eh, Ted and Jed, get it, who's salvaging a tire that he found. And what I appreciate about this one is that it was balanced. I mean, we got a main character who's kind of unbearable in Jed, but we also got Ted, who's a wonderful boy whose grip just happened to slip. The cop not, is, is is a non-character, so he's not important. Uh, he's just a cop. Uh, nice nice impact on the tire, though. That, it was pretty cool, is what I said in my notes. The little science explanation part is goofy, though. <laughs> the medical examiner said for this one, he probably broke all the bones on the right side of his body. And the recreation shows the tire hit him, but it only shows, like, one rib break. So you just hear this man talking about how it just crushed his whole side. Ruined this poor human being. And then the recreation behind him is just like tinking him. It's just like boop. But so to get back. Circle back to what the death actually is. I'm sorry I like to sprinkle in a little bit of the comments that I put. So you can be like ooh what happened there. Because I feel like otherwise it's just me giving little summaries. And I don't know. I'll get to that every time. But, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of something, something between. But basically, yeah, he gets pulled over by the cop. And then he's standing there, you know, yelling at the cop and everything. And he gets the cop's gun. He swipes the cop's gun. And then he's got the cop at gunpoint. And he's got the cop up against the car. And a tire slips out of Jed's, Ted's hand. Sorry, not, not Jed. My, my poor, poor man, Ted. Just. Doing his best out scavenging in the desert. And he lets go of this tire that he picked up. It rolls down the way and it crushes Jed. You know, pretty simple. So this this one is called Treadmarked. And that's an okay pun. But as you can tell by how I sounded during this, it's pretty uneventful. So I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10. And I think I'm, you know, I think I might have gone a little bit low for that one, but I really don't feel strongly enough about it to bump it up. So my original score stands. Next up, we have a death, which is like the Doodle Bob version of Ozhold. And it's in a nice middle area between the lackluster tire part and our glorious heavy metal boys. We're introduced to two Jersey, Jersey people, uh, a man and a woman, And when I say like people, I mean like caricatures more than usual for this show, too, to the point where it's kind of grating, partially because of just how annoying they are. I mean, I forget their names and I don't want to rewatch it to figure them out. Actually, it's mostly because of how annoying they are, but they spend a while drinking and talking about their tans before they go um, into the actual tanning booth, because they're in the lobby and apparently this girl owns this place and they go to the girl's fancy new booth. She says that it's like atom-powered, I believe, or like nuclear. Uh, Basically, they get inside of there. They're gyrating around, you know, and the guy lights a cigarette. When the guy lights a cigarette... He ignites all the gas in the chamber and they burn to death. Now, that death itself isn't bad. You know, it's not that basic. It's just really brought down by trying and failing to make funny characters where they just end up landing instead of on fun, more on the side of like obnoxious drunks. I mean, to be fair, most people featured in this show are obnoxious. And some might say that the that's part of the point. Um, but, you know, it's also part of the problem. Something about the goofy dialogue and blind dedication really clicked for Ozhold. But that same charm is kind of lost in this one, which is called Killer Tan, by the way. Uh, the dialogue was goofy. It's not at the level of the Oz one, though. So it just ends up coming off as not well written instead of being really funny. I mean, I still cracked a smile a few times, but... It wasn't laugh out loud the way that other one was. I mean, I have some of it. (laughs) I know I have one. I only wrote down one line because the rest of them, they were just talking about their tans and stuff in general and yelling stuff like, whoa, baby, you know, and stuff. I don't know. Watch an episode of the Jersey Shore and it was like that. But the one I wrote was darker than an espresso. I'm not doing the accent. Darker than an espresso, comma, long pause bean which i love because (laughs) that that jersey man seems to have said espresso and then just thought nah the drink ain't dark enough bean (laughs) and i loved that but you know just this this one's like the tire one season three is really stuck on that of like what's this for you know what's the lesson their punishment for being alcoholics is they get killed by a cigarette if that's not poetic justice i don't know what is and i don't know what is so not much to say on this one stereotypes aren't cool uh it was kind of tough to watch with how cranked to 11 their new jersey was uh but fine title six out of ten it's a fair score maybe even a little bit generous on my part but hey the death was something and the little skeleton recreation was good and the narration was fun ron was dunking on them and they deserved to be dunked on and all was well at that point (laughs) The, the This episode has some great concepts, but I'm not feeling the execution on these executions. They, more than any other episode I've seen, I mean, one of the segments has a little person and his girlfriend going to a playground. We'll just do this one next. Going to a playground, and it's during the planking craze. The guy is pumped, and it gave me a good chuckle because it's like, the actor first of all is great it's great um but (laughs) he's having a great time and he's planking on everything before he tries to plank on the teeter-totter which is unsuccessful by the way but i'll get to that and a chunk of waste from a toilet on a plane comes down and it hits the other side of the teeter-totter flinging him into the air he gets impaled on the top bar of the swing set and that's you know, that's the end of that. Sounds like fun, right? You know, being flung into the air and impaled on a metal pole. You know, it sounds like a gruesome and unexpected death. It sounds like that until you watch the episode and see that the first death in the episode ends the same way. I mean it's a gurney and a street sign instead of playground equipment, but it's the same concept of, you know, flinging off and getting impaled. Plus, they usually go out of their way to make the dying person unlikable, so you feel okay. And the way they attempt it with this one is by having, like, a single line. Like, he gives kind of bad vibes. He gives kind of obnoxious vibes like everybody else. But he doesn't seem like a bad person. Um, His one line is that a lady comes over... And like tells him to stop and that she wants to be there with her child. And he looks at her and goes, this is what I do. I plank. <laughs> I'm going to plank on everything. And, you know, for contrast, the other guy who was impaled in the same way was an emotionally abusive deadbeat husband. So these guys are not the same. Also, uh, this is a lot less important than the other things I had to say about this, but when he is on the teeter-totter, he's definitely not full planking. He's bent at the stomach, and his legs are dangling. Planking is meant to be stiff as a board and straight as an arrow. This guy's over here looking like a noodle hanging on a fork. He planked fine otherwise, so it's not too bad, but I feel like that inaccuracy earned a docked point. So we're down to a 5 out of 10. Uh, Also, side note, I Googled planking to see when that fad got big, and it says 2009. That was wild to me. I thought it was a trend in middle school, but now that I think about it, that earliness is a blessing because seventh grade Kyle definitely would have hurt himself trying to be cool with that trend. I would have planked on a fire hydrant and impaled myself or something, but I would have been straight as a bored when I'm doing it now that we've finally gotten through our little planking talk it's time for the series finale spectacular 20 deaths in an hour long an hour long ad-free special jam pack with recreations that will make your balls shrink is what I would have said if the finale like I said earlier wasn't literally identical to every other episode I mean, I was lulled into a false sense of security by the title, Death, The Final Frontier. But, yeah, despite that title, there's nothing final about this. There's nothing different about it. It's, it's maybe even below the show's average. So, I didn't take down notes for the finale, but I know that none of them probably cracked the 5 out of 10 range. It's depressing to see that this show, which was never great to begin with, ended with a low-tier episode with disappointing or just ridiculous deaths. Like, the bar was at toe height and they still tripped over it. The finale opener is basically Tanked Girl 2.0, since both feature a hypersexualized woman who gets nothing to say, no dialogue, no respect, and then just gets brutally murdered. That's right, it's another murder one. We have two redneck brothers fighting over this woman at this campfire party thing they're having in the woods. And they decide that the best way to settle this thing is to play tug of war with their trucks. And when they rev up their trucks to start the tug of war, they just... Somehow without noticing. I don't know how their trucks don't seem that loud. They don't seem like straight piped or anything. But they just start kicking up gravel. And the gravel just shoots out and like stabs into this poor girl who's just standing there. And one piece of gravel hits her in the skull and it just cracks her skull and kills her. You know, this murder is... Helped by the fact that it was probably unintentional, but it's hurt by it being a murder and also being underwhelming. I mean, usually, even if this show falls into that old trap, you know, elaborate setups, generic deaths, they do it in a way that's at least entertaining or karmically satisfying. Here, though, we get neither one of those. All we get is a rock to the head for a woman who did nothing to deserve it. This is a comedy show first and foremost, but man, they come off as bullies sometimes, especially in this one. I wasn't excited for the rest of the episode when I saw this first one. So, you know, you can see where I was coming from for the rest of my viewing experience. Also, it's called Pebble Bitched, which is not, I can't figure out how that is a pun or a joke. I don't get it. One out of 10. I have two out of 10 written here, but you know what? This is as bad as Tanked Girl for sure. This is a two. You know, I thought about going through all the deaths in this final episode. You know, I went through at least several for the other ones. But if the show didn't add any fanfare, then neither will I. So I'll still go through, but I'm not going to make it feel special. It's the same, you know, and I'm going to kind of blaze through a lot of these. The second one is about a woman drinking alcohol, eats the wrong kind of mushroom at the party. We went over that one out of 10 again. After the mushroom party thing, we go to 2003 in Kansas for pain saw. Now, this one doesn't have much to it either, but I kind of remembered it. And it's one of the more popular deaths from it. But it also feels intentional to me. I don't know if it's a crackpot theory, but it feels intentional. Canonically, it was an accident, but it just feels like the guy might as well be stepping into a Futurama suicide booth because he just has no chance. So in this one, a guy, he wants to impress his hot neighbor after his wife leaves. He's like a deadbeat. uh, They call him a house husband. So his wife leaves and he's trying to impress his hot neighbor. So he grabs the cord of his chainsaw that he was like supposed to trim these hedges with and he starts trimming them, but he's swinging the chainsaw over his head, and you can see where this one's going. You know, the cord around his, goes around his neck, and eventually he falls, and the chainsaw cuts into his neck. He bleeds out. It doesn't cut his head all the way off, but it does, you know, partially. They go through a couple layers, but I don't know. It's just... On rewatch, the man does look scared when the cord goes around his neck. But he still just stood there for multiple layers of neck wrapping. So, I don't know. I don't think my theory is total trash. But whether it was suicide or not, it was somehow the best death of the episode. So, you know, hold on tight. Uh, 5 out of 10. I was going to say 6 out of 10, but 5 out of 10 because... They didn't have any personalities in this one. And I I like the personalities. I like the characters. So another reason to hold on tight is um, all the twist endings with this episode. I mean, the mushroom one, that's a big twist ending. Uh, The chainsaw one isn't a twist ending because it's very obvious. But then there's this hipster in this next one. There's this hipster who loves stealing from yard sales which is a very normal and common hipster passion. You hear it all the time. Classic hipsters stealing from yard sales. So he finds a ring at his new target sale, and this guy sees the ring on his hand, and he asks for it back, and he's like, hey, that was from my grandfather. But when he's trying to wrestle the gun, oh, I almost pulled it there. When he tries to wrestle the ring back, it turns out it's a gun, And it shoots the guy in the face. It shoots the hipster guy in the face. And that was the only twist that was coherent and interesting and worked with the death. And I liked it. But uh, it's still this. The whole death is still kind of nothing because the only setup we really get is this guy likes stealing. And then he steals a thing. And then the dialogue I already described happens. And he's a corpse. So there's not that much. (laughs) um you know like i said earlier they they're short and sweet they all are pretty much you know there's like six of them an episode so they've got to be somewhat short but this one just it just goes by and you know what's happened at the end and you just look back and you're like hey that's it (laughs) but still it's a good twist so i'll give it a six out of ten because it's not it's not not trying it's just not trying that hard um but that same kind of random plot twist comes in but a lot less gracefully in the death called Lactoasted. toasted uh it combines the plot twist element with a dose of that horny that you love you know my that i love sorry i don't know if you but that i love you know, it's my favorite thing when they get horny on this show as i've said before Also, I didn't mention it before, but Ron Perlman has left as narrator by the point of the finale, so I'm just glad that he didn't have to narrate this death. This one starts with a guy flashing a group of moms with baby strollers at a park, which is already just a wonderful setup, but the flasher is making a scene and then he makes his fatal mistake of drinking milk. Now, you know, I got to give this one credit because at least it made, very quickly made its main character and its, you know, corpse feel like a bad person who you don't have to feel sorry for. It did a very good job at that. I immediately hated this guy. But, so he drinks milk. And then the women, they chase him down. I don't know why I said it like that. You know, really getting the words out one at a time. And then the, but... The women, they turn out to have been, this is not a joke, this is from the show, they turn out to have been from an underground mom fighting group. Uh, And you would think that's a good enough plot twist. Like, he just gets beaten to death by these moms, and that's like the twist. Like, oh, he thought, you know, he had the power here, but he didn't, and that would be fine. But he gets beat up by these moms, and then... He just dies and the narrator explains that he died not because he was beaten, but because the mom who he drank the milk of from the bottle, um, she had just eaten peanuts and he had a peanut allergy. You know, that thing that they definitely set up earlier or said anything about ever. Yeah, that's what happened. Where did that come from? You didn't subvert my expectations. You crushed him. You crushed them into itty-bitty bite-sized pieces. Um, But, you know, this guy was one of the most deserving dead people in the series. But he still gets to avoid getting beat to death. But lactoasted is pretty solid. And I'm going to say right now, I have 3 out of 10 written down as my score here. But I think I was just reacting in the moment. Of how much I really didn't like that guy or the setup. But given everything that I said with, you know, deserving, good title, good actors. I'm going to say, I'm going to bump it up to a 5 out of 10. I know we've had a lot of 5 out of 10s, but what can I say? This show gets pretty mid sometimes. All jokes aside though, I remembered all these deaths. I don't know why I said all jokes aside though like that, but hey. If we got stuck on me saying things weirdly all day, we'd be here all day. But I remembered all these deaths off the top of my head after watching the finale a few days ago, except for one. I had to look it up on the Wikipedia. So for this one, a bodybuilder is in a competition and he sabotages his opponents and then he dies from picking up a too big rock and having his intestines pop out from the strain of it. And that's all there is. There's no dialogue, really. There's just the narrator and people yelling and uh, the guy greases up one guy's weight bar. That's the only thing we see him do. And then his intestines fall out. So, you know, uh, not great. Also, his name was Angus and my dad, fun fact, really wanted to name me Angus So I don't take kindly to people named Angus because it just reminds me that that was almost me and I almost fell into that. So you know what? I'm almost glad this guy's intestines fell out. Almost, almost shout out to Angus. I'm sure he was fine, but, um, you know, he cheated and he died two out of 10. Now the last death is only a small step above like milk pervert and, um, Angus, I didn't write down the name of your death because it was too boring McGee. But, you know, it's still, it's still a death. It's Flim fatal, which is a great name. I can't deny it. It's the story of a germaphobe preparing for a date and he uses a neti pot to clear his sinuses. You know, the little, little teapot looking thing. You blow it up into your nose. You know what a neti pot is. But he goes on the date and it's, he just keeps talking about, like, we got to sanitize this. I've got to sanitize your lips and stuff. And then he sneezes, and he sneezes out blood. Then he dies, and the medical expert comes on and explains that he had used, like, sink water. And that sink water had an amoeba in it that ate his brain. So, you know, just what a, what a dumbass, right? I mean, who would ever... Who would ever not think about brain-eating amoebas in their sink water? I mean, God, what an idiot. He definitely deserved it. Um, You know, I'm glad that they at least didn't make this one horny. They just, they had the opportunity because it's in one guy's apartment and there's one girl, but they didn't. Uh, However, this one has more character work than any deaths around it you know all they do is give the main guy lines about germs but at least he's got lines the the girl doesn't but he does also i laughed when he tried to get her to spray disinfectant on her lips that was that that made me laugh a little bit so four out of ten and that's it there you have it a thousand ways to die ended not with a bang Not with a whimper, but with a sneeze. That final death, lame as it is, is the whole show in a nutshell. It's a couple minutes of a person with one or two personality traits doing something crazy or evil before dying of that thing. The problem is that any other death from the show could be put last, and I could say the same thing. As I said earlier, the show being so formulaic, Is what makes it hard to dig into. I spent the entire writing process for this project trying to settle somewhere comfortable between pure filler and digging for non-existent meaning. But in the end, A Thousand Ways to Die was never meant for a a deep retrospective. But I think there was value in looking back at it. Even if we're not learning a lot from it, we're still learning maybe what not to do or what not to say or what not to put on TV. Not to say that this show couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't have been put on TV, by the way, I like this show, and I will rewatch it sometimes, but that's the spirit of the show, you know? Who needs a payoff when the way there was so much fun? The one thing that the show never lost, even as the deaths got worse and the setups hit the barrel's bottom, was that sense of fun. Even when I describe a death like Lactosted as horrible, I can still acknowledge that every actor in that death had a great time, or at least seems like they're having the time of their lives. So I hope I kept that energy too, and that you all had a good time, even if this ending is disappointing. But again, I am kind of trying to make this feel like an episode of A Thousand Ways to Die. And what's more A Thousand Ways to Die than a disappointing ending? So whether you were driving, doing chores, or staring blankly at the nearest wall during this episode, I thank you for listening, and I will see you next time when we once again visit the Chunk Zone.